If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Good evening, everyone. We begin the readout tonight with the new coronavirus variant, Omicron. That is putting the entire world on edge. The World Health Organization is warning that the variant poses a very high global risk, but we still don't know a lot about it. There's evidence that there might be an increased risk of infection or reinfection with the virus, but we really don't know exactly how transmissible it is or whether it causes more severe infections. There are increased cases and hospitalizations in South Africa where the variant was discovered, but it's too early to attribute those to the variant. They're also still studying the impact that Omicron could have on vaccines, but stress that current vaccines remain effective against severe disease and death. After South Africa discovered the Omicron variant, President Biden implemented a travel ban, including eight African countries, though there is no way to know where the mutation actually started. But there are already confirmed cases in at least 18 countries, including our neighbor, Canada. And health officials say it's probably already here. New York is on alert with Governor Kathy Hochul declaring a state of emergency and New York City reinstating a COVID mask advisory. Today, President Biden made it clear that while we should be prepared, we shouldn't panic. This variant is a cause for concern, not a cause for panic. We have the best vaccine in the world, <clears throat> the best medicines, the best scientists, and we're learning more every single day. The sooner or later, we're going to see cases of this new variant here in the United States. We'll have to face this new threat just as we face those that come before it. The best protection against this new variant or any of the, of the variants out there, the ones we've been dealing with already, is getting fully vaccinated and getting a booster shot. Biden said that he'd be announcing a detailed strategy for how to fight COVID this winter, but made it clear that the U.S. will not be instituting any shutdowns or lockdowns. No doubt because there is zero political appetite for that in this country. This all comes as air travel over Thanksgiving set a pandemic record with many vaccinated and unfortunately unvaccinated Americans eager to get back to normal, whatever that is at this point. But the Delta variant is still here, too. And an average of 1000 people have been dying from coronavirus every day in America. Only 59 percent of Americans are fully vaccinated, with just 21 percent of Americans older than 18 receiving their booster shot. The day the CDC director stressed the importance of getting those booster shots, announcing that everyone 18 or over should get a booster and noting that the recent emergence of the Omicron variant further emphasizes the importance of vaccination, boosters and prevention efforts. And Dr. Fauci said over the weekend that while we don't yet know how much of an impact Omicron will have, it is best to prepare for the worst. You don't want to frighten the American public, but when something occurs that you need to take seriously, you take it seriously and you do whatever you can to mitigate against that. I mean, I'm saying this absolutely clearly, that if ever there was a reason for unvaccinated people to get vaccinated and for those who have been vaccinated, when your time comes up to go and get a booster shot, we want to make sure that we're prepared for the worst. And that's what we should be doing. 
And I'm joined now by Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and chief medical advisor to President Biden. Um, it's always great to talk with you, Dr. Fauci. And look, I, I, I'm not a scientist, but the sort of Occam's razor explanation for why we're still in the pandemic and why the virus is still mutating and forming new variants like Omicron is that there's so many unvaccinated people around the world, right? So let's just go and look at some of this. 44% of the global population right now is fully vaccinated. That means 55.6% of the global population has had at least one dose of the vaccine, but still about half the world, you can see that heat map there, half the world is unvaccinated. Among the least vaccinated countries, Burundi, my family's country, the Congo, only 0.1%. Haiti, Guinea-Bissau, South Sudan, Yemen, Ethiopia. Most of these are poorer countries that are very, very much unvaccinated, almost totally unvaccinated. And the most unvaccinated countries like you, United Arab Emirates and Singapore, et cetera, you know, are doing better. But it's still, there's a lot of unvaccinated people. The United States is 58th. We rank 58th in vaccination status in the world. Am I right that that is why we're still getting variants? Oh, no doubt about it. When you have a high degree of viral dynamics in the circulation of this country or any country in the world, it's a danger essentially to everyone. Because once the virus has the capability of freely mutating and freely transmitting from person to person, ultimately you're going to get mutations. Not every mutation is relevant, but every once in a while you get a constellation of mutations that are worrisome. And that's, the, that's what we're dealing with with this current variant. The Omicron. I mean, that's the thing that is the situation that we're facing right now. We don't know a lot about it, as you said, but it has these mutations that are strongly suggestive that it has a transmissibility advantage. Namely, it transmits very efficiently and also some suggestion that it might evade some of the protection from monoclonal antibodies or convalescent plasma or even for vaccine induced antibodies. We need to know if in practical purposes that that spells out to a really high degree of transmissibility and whether or not when it does infect someone, whether it causes severe disease. And those things we're going to know, Joy, in about a couple of weeks, a week and a half, two weeks, at the most three weeks. We have a great deal of cooperation from our South African colleagues, scientists and public health officials who've been very transparent with us and sharing information with us. You know, and the South African president has complained and, you know, South Africans are, are getting pretty offended that they're being kind of targeted when the, all they did was discover it. It's like <clears throat> the Spanish flu being the Spanish flu because they were the ones who admitted that it was there. You know, South Africa actually did a good thing by letting us know that this variant is here and discovering it. But, you know, I wonder if trying to bar travel from a country like South Africa even works. I, I've been kind of likening it. My team is so sick of me saying this, but I've been likening the pandemic, the, the, this virus, to like the alien and aliens, right? Its whole goal is to jump into different people and mutate into different kinds of aliens. And these anti-vaxxers and people who don't get vaccinated are like the guy from the corporation that's like, we can go ahead and allow it come back to Earth. At some point, isn't it true that this thing is going to mutate to a kind of, of, of virus that we can't stop with any vaccine or any treatment? No. That would be really highly unlikely, Joy, but you're making a good point in one respect. You're absolutely correct. We, If ever there was a reason to get the people who are unvaccinated vaccinated and those who are fully vaccinated 
and whose time comes up to get a booster, it's now. Because we know from experience already that when you get a high level of antibody, of neutralizing antibody, even if it's, again, one particular variant, when you get a high level, usually due to vaccination and booster, which gets that level way up, you get such a high level, it cross-protects against the other variants. So when you get a brand new variant and you don't have any really understanding of it yet, the best thing to do is to get your level of neutralizing antibody as high as you possibly can. And we happen to have the tools to allow us to do that. We have highly effective vaccines, and we know that boosters get that level way up, much, much higher than after the usual two dose of an mRNA or the one dose of a J&J. And that's the reason why the president today emphasized at the White House press conference why it's so important to get a booster and why the CDC today announced that they're recommending boosters for everybody 18 years of age or older who's eligible. So yeah. we really need to push that very, very hard. Well, I got my booster and my husband and I got our boosters. But, but the, the problem is, is that we are not in a world where we can isolate ourselves from people who won't get vaccinated. We all know people in our lives that refuse to get it done. And a lot of the argument they're making is that they have natural immunity if they've had COVID before. What do you say to people who say, well, I had COVID, therefore I am immune from COVID? Well, there's two different groups of people there, Joy. There are people who haven't had COVID and still don't want to get vaccinated. <laughs> that too. Those are the people, you know, up to 60 million of those that they can't have an excuse that, well, I've been infected, therefore I don't need to get vaccinated. There are far, far more people, 60 million or so, who've not been vaccinated, who don't want to get vaccinated, even though they're eligible. The issue of if you've been infected, how long your protection lasts we don't have enough information of that to give a great deal of confidence, although it is true, to be fair, that when you do get infected and you recover, you have a degree of protection that's substantial. The question is, what is the durability of that? And that's the reason why the CDC recommends that even if you have been infected and recover, if you do get uh, a vaccine, the level of your protection goes way, way up. And that's the reason why they recommend it. Yeah, I have a family member that had it twice, so it can't be that protective because you got it again. Um, is it safe for people to travel? Because people are going back to normal, whether we like it or not. Is it safe to get on a plane and go see family in Cleveland or in Louisiana, especially if you're traveling to a state that has a low vaccination rate? Well, you know, Joy, it, the fundamental principles are you are much, much safer if you are vaccinated and boosted than you are if you're not vaccinated. Travel always increased the risk, particularly if you go to a place where there's a high dynamic of infection. However, you can't just say no travel at all. You need to understand during the Christmas holidays and the upcoming holidays now, people will be traveling. So the thing you can tell them is follow some fundamental principles. If you're not vaccinated, get vaccinated now. If you're vaccinated and eligible for a boost, get boosted. And when you do travel, be prudent. For example, when you go to the airport to get ready to get on a plane, when you're on a plane, you have to wear a mask. But in the airport, in a congregate setting, wear a mask. And when you do travel wherever you go and you go into an indoor setting where you don't have any idea what the vaccine status of the people around you are, then wear a mask under those circumstances. When you're in the home 
with a family and you know who's vaccinated, if people are vaccinated, everyone's vaccinated, enjoy the holiday, have a good meal. But don't be unprudent in the sense of saying, I'm going to go to a place that's an indoor setting. I have nobody, no idea who's there, but I'm not going to wear a mask. That's yeah. putting yourself at an unnecessary risk. Uh, we are out of time, but very quickly, I'm going to squeeze one thing, one more thing. Out. I'm sorry, producers. Do you even want to respond to people? Because what we're, I would never bring up Dr. Ronnie Jackson. He embarrasses me, but it, and it scares me that he ever got to touch President Obama. But when a, he's a doctor and a lot of people are going to listen to him when he says things like you and President Biden are just making this up because y'all think it's going to help Democrats in the midterms. What do you say back to somebody who is a doctor who is telling people publicly as a member of Congress that this is all made up, that this is all just an election strategy? That that the virus is an election strategy. Is that right? Yeah. Is that what, That's he's, what saying? he's saying? That this variant, uh, that this talk of the Omicron variant is just yourself and the president trying to do an election strategy to help Democrats. Well, then I would just say without being pejorative against him that he is at odds in his feelings and his beliefs with virtually everybody who knows anything about virology, including all the WHO and all the other health ministers throughout the country and throughout the world. So I, other than that, I have no comment for him. That, 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 is, that is firm but fair. Uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, people should listen to you mm -hmm. and not people like him because... You know, he seems like a quack to me. Uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, thank you very much. Up next on The Readout, the new COVID variant means new opportunities for deadly right-wing disinformation, as we just discussed. Also, this could be one of the most devastating weeks ever for abortion rights as the conservative court takes up Mississippi's challenge to Roe v. Wade. Plus, opening statements in the sex trafficking trial of Jeffrey Epstein, conf uh, Jeffrey Epstein confidant Ghislaine Maxwell, which is surely making a lot of powerful men very nervous. And tonight's absolute worst is now the leading voice for racism in Congress, which is saying something because there is a lot of competition for that title. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Yeah. Always a new variant. And you can always you'll count on a variant about every October, every yeah. two years. <laughs> oh, I think it's going to, yep. You know, you're probably right. I mean, it, however, they, they could speed up. Uh, the variants <laughs> could come more quickly. Uh, and the we're going to need a new uh, variant here. <laughs> I'm not even a doctor, and I know that they, they come in the winter because it's winter. It gets cold. Anyway. Now, there, while there is still a lot that we don't know about the new coronavirus variant, Omicron, what I can tell you with confidence is that it is, in fact, real and something that we need to keep a close eye on. 
Now, of course, as you just saw, if you were a Fox viewer, the conspiracy theory machine has already kicked into gear. And if the message from the Three Stooges there wasn't clear enough, well, then let Republican Congressman Ronnie Jackson spell it out. The former top White House doctor for both Trump Lorange and President Obama, a fact that still freaks me out, tweeted over the weekend that the new variant is nothing more than a ploy by the Democrats to cheat during the midterm election. You know, the one that is still 11 months away. Let's be clear. There was no cheating by the Democrats in the last election, no matter how many times the MAGA crazy crowd shouts it from the rooftops. But this quack politician from Texas and others in the tinfoil hat brigade want the American people to somehow believe that not only did the Democrats contrive this new variant, but also somehow convince the World Health Organization and countries around the world to scramble and shut down flights and go into emergency pandemic mode, all to push mail-in ballots for next year's midterm elections here in the U.S. And if that sounds plausible to you, you probably also would trust Dr. Ronnie Jackson to operate on you, which I would very much discourage if you want to be alive. Join me now. Dr. Uche Blackstock, founder and CEO of Advancing Health Equity, and Rick Wilson, co-founder of the Lincoln Project. I'm not a doctor, but you are, Dr. Blackstock. But, but I, even I can figure out that anything that is flu-like, a viral type of thing that causes symptoms that can be confused for the flu, probably comes up around when it gets cold, like in October, November. Am I wrong or am I right? You are absolutely right, Joy. And it's a sad day when a, a practicing physician surgeon can politicize a microscopic infectious particle, like a, like a variant. Um, you know, we, we know that that variant is out there. We, we, there's still, as you have mentioned, there's still so much more that we need to, to learn about it. But the fact is, is that we are still in the middle of a pandemic. We are in crisis at the beginning of uh, our fifth Delta surge, and we have this new variant that we're trying to figure out. So, um, you know, there is nothing made up about this. Uh, we are, this is the real deal, and we have to deal with it right now. You know, and Rick, it, what bothers me more than the people who are just, you know, they get all their news from Facebook, so they don't really know, are the people right. who actually really know better and who are doing this because it's just a game. It's just shtick to try to stay in their office because they must really love being elected officials. So they just do this just as shtick. Let, let's show one of those people. This is Representative Nancy Mace of South Carolina. Here she is mm. one part of the day when she was on Fox and the other part of the day when she was on CNN talking about vaccines. One of the things that the CDC has not done and no no policymaker at the federal level has done so far is taken into account what natural immunity does. In some studies that I've read, natural immunity gives you 27 times more protection against future COVID infection than a vaccination. And so we need to take all of the science into account and not selectively choosing what science to follow when we are making policy decisions. I've been a proponent of vaccinations and, and wearing masks when we need to. I've run ads encouraging uh, my district to go and get vaccinated. And when we have these variants and we have these spikes to take every precaution from washing our hands to wearing the N95 or KN95 mask. Rick, shouldn't you be smart enough to know that people can watch both channels and find out what you said on the other one in order to be a member has of Congress? She never heard of, has she never heard of the Twitter machine or the Google? <laughs> I mean, because it's pretty obvious that she's trying to play to two different audiences here. And that doesn't fly anymore. Uh, you know, Nancy Mace is one of those people who's caught in that wedge between the, 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 the hermetically sealed BS world of Trumpism and trying to not completely give way to the whole thing. But, you know, a guy like Ronnie Jackson, you know, Dr. Happy Pills there, he knows full well also that he is not telling the truth about 
this isn't manufactured in a lab somewhere. It's not a conspiracy. You know, Occam's razor tends to work in all things. And it's either a global conspiracy by the, the deep state elites or it's a naturally emerging variant of a virus that, that we could have stepped on a little harder if we'd had more vaccinations. I don't know. Call me crazy. But it seems like the sciencey explanation might be the actual explanation in this case. But- but it, the, the, and the hypocrisy just kind of runs all the way through. Republicans in several of these southern states in particular were cutting off the additional unemployment aid, right. claiming it makes people lazy mm-hmm. and saying they don't want it to work. Mm-hmm. But now all of a sudden, magic. Now they want to give unemployment benefits to people who quit or get fired because they don't get their shots. So now they're for getting the, the free money that makes you lazy, as long as it makes you lazy, but also possibly puts you in the hospital. Your thoughts, Rick? Well, no, look, they're, 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 this is exactly the kind of thing that's led to Florida having the third highest COVID death rate in the country. This is exactly what has led to other states where Republican governors have played these stupid games, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And, and this idea that they're now going to throw um, what is essentially, you know, a government subsidy at people um, because they didn't take the responsible adult human step to get vaccinated so that their friends and their family and their mothers and their grandmothers and their relatives wouldn't get sick and die from COVID. You know, this to me, I missed that part when I was reading a young man reading, you know, Buckley and Hayek and Kirk and all the conservative greats. I missed the part about being a dumbass when it comes to trying to save people's lives. I mean, and, you know, Dr. Blackstock, you've talked a lot about this, that we just weren't ready for this pandemic because you have this sort of attitudinal problem where people are like, don't tell me what to do. I don't want to get back. I don't want to wear a mask. I don't want to get vaccinated. I don't care even if lots of people die, even if my own family dies. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. And so you have that attitude. We are 58th in the world in terms of the percentage of our population that has vaccines, that is vaccinated. We are a first world country and we are 58th. That is why Omicron is spreading. Your thoughts? Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, of all high income countries, we are dead last in terms of our our vaccination rate. Right. And and, and that's a problem. And and that has to do with the politicization of the pandemic since the very beginning. It was masks. It was vaccines. Now it's a variant. It's a variant could be politicized. Um, And then we also have the, you know, the vaccine uh, global inequity issue um, that is huge. And that's, you know, we still have widespread transmission that's leading to emerging variants and we're not taking care of each other. So we have the individualism, personal responsibility uh, problem here in the U.S., but we also are not taking care of lower and middle income countries to ensure that they have not only supply but that they have manufacturing capability, that we are encouraging pharma to waive patents on the vaccines. So we we also have to do our part globally as well. Yeah, I mean, we almost would have been better off rather than banning travel from South Africa and Botswana to send them all of the vaccines that the people here won't take. And then they all the rest of the world could actually get over covid. And that way we'd be better off. And, you know, Rick, I mean, it's almost like if we had a a dome over the United States, there'd be part of it that is like a, a dumb estuary. Right. Where people are living in there, killing their own constituents, getting their own constituents sick willing to let people die. And even Trump can't control it now. He gets booed when he says get vaccinated. So is there any way to crack that little dumb estuary and let some people out? Or are they just going to stay in there, get sick and maybe die? Well, you know, look, you've got states like Florida now and, and Mississippi and Alabama and Louisiana that's basically Darwin's waiting room. And these people are going to either decide they're going to get vaccinated or they're going to they're going to continue to watch their friends and neighbors and their family members die off. This is not, you know, the people who who believe that COVID is something it's it's the common cold and the basic flu. They are mistaken. We have many hundreds of thousands of dead Americans right now, in part because people 
on the Republican side of the equation discouraged vaccination. Fox News was an outright propaganda network against vaccination for months and months and months. And it has caused an enormous amount of damage in this country. And unfortunately, you know, pain is the only teacher in politics. And so you're going to see states where people die off. Yeah, unfortunately, that's what's going to happen. And it's their own voters. But I guess they figure there'll be enough of them left to, like, watch the polls and intimidate black voters and make sure that they can't vote. And they figure that's all they need. Dr. Uche Blackstock, Rick Wilson, we can't make this stuff up. Thank you both very much. The absolute worst is still ahead. But up next, the Supreme Court will hear the most serious challenge to abortion rights in a generation. And it happens this week. We'll be right back. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. For nearly 50 years, abortion has been a constitutional right afforded to every woman in America. On Wednesday, the Supreme Court will hear arguments in a Mississippi case that challenges the precedent of Roe v. Wade. There's an entire generation of women who have never known a world without it. And yet, in a few months, in many states, women could face being transported back to the period when they were made to endure back alley abortions in unsafe conditions, sometimes resulting in sickness and even death. Sensing that this was a very real possibility, Congresswoman Barbara Lee of California, joined by two of her Democratic colleagues, recently shared her own deeply private and personal reproductive journey. I'm compelled to speak out because of the real risks of the clock being turned back to those days before Roe versus Wade, to the days when I was a teenager and had a back alley abortion in Mexico. Now, I was one of the lucky ones, Madam Chair. A lot of girls and women in my generation didn't make it. They died from unsafe abortions. On Wednesday, a majority conservative court itching to turn the clock back will hear arguments about that Mississippi law that prohibits nearly all abortions after the 15th week of pregnancy. Many suspect that the court could deliver a disingenuous decision that would gut the constitutional right to abortion while preserving it in name only. Because, let's face it, some of these folks lack the courage of their convictions. And I'm joined now by Congresswoman Barbara Lee of California, co-chair of the Congressional Pro-Choice Caucus. And Congresswoman, thank you so much for being here. You know, you, you so bravely talked about the fact that you were one of the lucky ones who survived having to endure a back alley abortion. We are getting very close to the stage where that's going to be reality again in states like Mississippi. I fully believe that this right wing court is going to overturn Roe v. Wade. So what happens then, if, if in fact they even gut it to the point what they and do to it what they've done to the Voting Rights Act and leave it basically limp and dying, what happens to American women? 
Thank you, Joy, for having me. And this is a very important decision as it relates to our reproductive freedom. Uh, and let me just say what uh, we have done in the House, uh, led by Congresswoman Judy Chu, the Women's Health Product, uh, Production, excuse me, Women's Health Protection Act. We have passed that over into uh, the Senate, and hopefully the Senate will pass it. And what that will do is codify, make into law, uh, Roe versus Wade. Right now, states, as you see, they're doing anything they want to do to deny access to the full range of reproductive health services, including abortion care. And that's why we've got to pass this bill and pass it quickly. Do, do you, are you surprised that there's been relative silence on this issue, even as you have a handmaid's tale law that passed in Texas? Lots of outrage about that. But I mean, this is being cloaked in Christianity on the other side. Where are the churches that are going to have to minister to these women who some of whom are going to die in the process of trying to get uh, end of pregnancy? And, you know, uh, this is about uh, joy, about uh one's own healthcare decisions. Whether you believe or not believe in abortion, that's not the issue. The issue is a person having the right to make their own decisions about their own lives. And when you look at the equity issues, of course, it's black and brown women who have historically been denied access because of uh, the economic issues and because of racism and because of all of the issues we know so well. And so everyone needs to step up regardless and just say women People of color, low-income people, everyone has the right to make their own health care decisions. And that should not uh, go fly in the face of anyone's uh, personal personal opinions or values. And, you know, the Senate has can't be bothered to take up the Build Back Better bill anytime soon. Joe Manchin has made it clear he doesn't care about that. Kirsten Sinema has made it clear she doesn't care about that or voting rights or anything else that the you know progressives and that the House cares about. What confidence do you have that these people in the Democratic side will do anything about abortion rights? Joy, I have to be, have hope. I have to be optimistic. And this is about organizing. It's about political action. And I have to salute our, our young women, our women of color. We've organized around the country with our activists. We'll be out in front of the Supreme Court with thousands of, of people on Wednesday. And so we know it's an uphill battle, but we've got to fight, fight, fight. When we fight, we win. And so regardless of the Senate's composition, we've got to make sure that uh, all of those who are on the fence or who uh, don't want women's reproductive freedom and won't want access to the full range of health care services, we've got to make sure they change their minds. And this is going to be about political action. And we've got to win this one because you're right. It's a matter of life and death for so many people. Yeah, indeed. And I want to I want to just acknowledge right now that we uh, had a very important and very sad event happen over the last uh, couple of days. Um, former Florida Congresswoman Carrie Meek died on Sunday at the age of 95, the grandchild of a slave and a sharecropper's daughter who was born in 1926. She became one of the first black Floridians elected to Congress since Reconstruction. She was a fierce advocate for affirmative action and equal economic opportunities for the poor. Um, Ms. Meek was elected to Congress in 1992 and represented the Miami-Dade era for a decade. She was succeeded by her son, Kendrick Meek. And our condolences, obviously, to the family and to the whole Miami-Dade community that she called home. And Congresswoman, I want to give you an opportunity just to reflect on this um, incredible woman um, who was a, a charter member of the C Congressional Black Caucus, or not a charter member, but she was a active member of the Congressional Black Caucus and somebody Miamians really loved. 
Sure, Joy. My condolences go out to uh, her son, Kendrick Meek, and all of her family. I knew uh, Carrie so well, and she was a truly woman warrior. And let me tell you, just seeing her picture uh, brought smiles to my face. When I came to Congress, she mentored me, and she called me Bobby. She just started calling me Bobby. You've got to get on the Appropriations Committee. She was on the Appropriations Committee. She taught me the ropes on how to bring home tax dollars, resources for community-based efforts. She was a fighter for education. She loved children. And she mm-hmm. uh, was always happy. She was, But she was fighting as she was happy. She was very optimistic. She was a fighter for voting rights, for civil rights, for women's rights. And uh, I, I miss her. Uh, look at her. I mean, she was a beautiful <laughs> woman. And, and in fact, she loved uh, to, she loved clothes. She loved to travel. Uh, and she was yeah. there. She was present for each and every issue. And she delivered the resources to her district. And she, she talked sure so much. I, hey, I lived there for a long time down there. And I can tell you, she had a soft voice, but a strong spirit. And she got things done, done. Uh, so yes. uh, my condolences. Thank you so much, Congresswoman. Really appreciate you, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, because you get it done, too. Uh, we really appreciate you. And up next, the sex trafficking trial of Ghislaine Maxwell begins in New York quite a turn here. Prosecutors say that she exploited young girls and served them up to the perversions of Jeffrey Epstein and his friends. Her attorneys claim that she's a scapegoat. We will bring you the latest next. Opening arguments began today in the trial of Ghislaine Maxwell, the longtime associate of Jeffrey Epstein, who's facing up to 70 years in prison. As her indictment alleges, Maxwell assisted, facilitated, and contributed to Epstein's abuse of minor girls, helping him recruit, groom, and ultimately abuse victims as young as 14 years old. That's why she's been charged with half a dozen criminal counts, including sex trafficking and enticing minors to travel to engage in illegal sex acts. She's pleaded not guilty. Of course, this comes more than two years after Epstein was found dead in his jail cell, where he was awaiting trial in 2019. And while Maxwell has been accused of running a vast sex ring and helping to procure underage girls to other rich and powerful men, this case is narrowly focused on four victims who were abused between 1994 and 2004. Prosecutors in court today describe Maxwell and Epstein as partners in crime who devised a pyramid scheme of abuse in which they encouraged girls to recruit other young girls. In turn, Maxwell's lawyer is describing her as a scapegoat for Epstein's actions. As their first witness, prosecutors late today called one of Epstein's longtime jet pilots. For more, I'm joined by Danny Savalos, criminal defense attorney and MSNBC legal analyst. So, um, Danny, thank you for being here. I, I, calling the pilot says to me that they're trying to establish, obviously, that she was trafficking girls and moving them. But it also raises the question, because we do know from the Epstein stories that they were also flying his the, the Johns around in these flights. Are, should we expect to hear about who all was on these flights? Yes, that has to be why the government is calling the pilot. After all, if you have a limo driver, that's somebody that would see you every day and have a lot to say about your comings and goings. When you're as rich as Jeffrey Epstein, your limo driver is a jet driver. It's essentially the same thing. But this is somebody who sees Epstein and Maxwell coming and going and who they come and go with and where they go. He may not go into the mansion when they arrive, but he can talk about a lot of stuff that he saw in the course of his employment. And I think the obvious answer, I mean, Jeffrey Epstein had a, a lot of information, clearly. What, what he, he took a lot to the grave, including a lot of high-profile alleged clients' names. Here's one of them. Here's Donald Trump. This is what he said after Ghislaine Maxwell's arrest back in 2020. 
Ghislaine Maxwell is in prison, and so a lot of people want to know if she's going to turn in powerful people. I just wish her well, frankly. Uh, I've met her numerous times over the years, especially since I lived in Palm Beach, and I guess they lived in Palm Beach. Uh, but I wish her well, whatever it is. I guess. I mean, they lived in Palm Beach. They were friends. There are lots of pictures of them being friendly and being friends and et cetera. But, but I take it from just what I'm reading about it that we should not expect to hear high profile names like that one come up in this case. No, probably not. And presidents have a long history of opening their mouths and inserting themselves into criminal cases. President Nixon opined that Charles Manson was guilty and almost set off a mistrial. And that was decades ago. But the difference here, the eerie difference is the speculation that, well, if Trump actually met and knew Maxwell, why exactly is he wishing her well? And what effect could that have on the trial? But you are right in that the prosecution and the court has limited this, uh, limited it even to just four victims, not the many more victims of Epstein that has been guessed at. And is that a tactic? I mean, we were talking about this with the producers earlier today. Is that a tactic to say, let's get them, get get this person on the easiest things to convict her on? Because if they convict her, she would get basically spend the rest of her life in prison. And then it would sort of be implied that she's sort of paying the price for anything else that she did. Is that sort of the way prosecutors think? Yeah, you're throwing a softball to me. I'm a biased criminal defense attorney. But of course, that's what the government does. The government wins 90 plus percent of its cases, 90 plus percent result in a conviction of some kind. They don't like to lose. And so for that reason, they only take to trial the cases that are sure things, slam dunks, layups, whatever you want to call it. So I have news for you. If there were other victims out there that would have liked to have seen them added themselves added to the list, it's possible the government interviewed them and decided, "Mm, I don't I see them as like 80 percent, 70 percent helpful to us. Uh, We're only going to bring the ones that we think are absolute sure things because we're the government. We don't like to lose. And okay, biased defense attorney, what possibly could be her defense? What could she possibly throw out there? We got a preview of it. And it's two magic words that I expected we would hear several times. And it's empty chair. In other words, the real bad guy, they're going to argue, was Jeffrey Epstein. And you know what? The government couldn't hold on to him. He died in prison, so they don't have him to prosecute anymore. But they're going to make sure somebody suffers for what Jeffrey Epstein did. And all they're going to tell you about, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is that this woman, as it says in the indictment, took these ladies to movies, uh, took them shopping. That's not enough to hold her accountable for what Jeffrey Epstein did. That's just an example of what the defense will argue in this case. Well, there we go. Danny Savalos, uh, thank you very much. Really appreciate you. And don't go anywhere. A special extended edition of The Absolute Worst is up next as a Republican member of Congress goes all in on bigotry and Islamophobia. We'll be right back. Lauren Pew 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 Bobert, Congresswoman from Colorado, loves freedom for a certain type of American, namely herself. The freedom to pose with rifles in the background for official congressional business and to ignore COVID. The freedom to release an attack ad against Speaker Pelosi featuring gunshot sounds. So many guns and so much freedom. It's just others who apparently don't deserve freedom to take paternity leave for your newly adopted twins if you're Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, for instance. For that, you get Lauren the insult comic attacks because you're a man and you can't breastfeed and insert stupid laugh track. But the Colorado Congresswoman's favorite targets are her black, brown and Muslim colleagues, like Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, the first Somali-American and one of the first two Muslim women to serve in Congress. 
over the Thanksgiving holiday video emerged showing Boebert sharing this made-up story to her supporters about supposedly being in an elevator with Congresswoman Omar. I look to my left, and there she is, Ilhan Omar. And I said, well, she doesn't have a backpack. We should be fine. (laughs) And after that little ditty dropped, somebody must have told Lauren that she should issue an apology, for which she, and she did, um, and she said that she was sorry, not for what she did, but that, you know, people were sorry that they heard it wrong or whatever. But then, because let's face it, she's not super bright. She went and stirred the pot all over again during a call arranged by House leadership today with Representative Omar. The Minnesota congresswoman called her out, saying, quote, Bobert refused to publicly acknowledge her hurtful and dangerous comments. She instead doubled down on her rhetoric, and I decided to end the unproductive call. Now, this is not about one hateful statement or one politician. It's about a party that is mainstream bigotry and hatred. The wide open Islamophobia from the Republican Party is allowed to fester and thrive in 2021. And no one, not its members nor its leaders, is going to do a damn thing about it because they clearly believe that bigotry and hatred are the speedballs their voters crave. And that truly is the absolute worst. And joining me now is Dean Obadala, MSNBC columnist and host of the Dean Obadala Show on Sirius XM. Uh, I'm not even going to talk. I'm just going to let you talk. Your thoughts on the apology and on the comments themselves from over. First of all, Joy, do you hear it? Do you hear the deafening silence of the GOP leadership who is not condemning Congressman Bobart? Why? Remember they tell us, oh, they were afraid of Trump. Trump's not here, folks. They agree with this garbage. They understand the power of bigotry. Look, GOP bigotry towards Muslims has been a sport since 2012. It began with Herman Cain and Newt Gingrich saying, we want Sharia law. We don't want Sharia law. We're watching them try to impose their religious beliefs on us right now. Then you had Donald Trump take the Islam hates us. I'm going to ban all Muslims. The result of this was real world. We saw hate crimes against our community. So Lowen Boebert, spewing anti-Muslim bigotry for months, not just this joke, this joke, but for months saying that Congressman Omar is a terrorist sympathizer, smearing Congresswoman Tlaib, who's the other Muslim woman in Congress, for the Jihad squad. This is who they are. She fits perfectly in this party. You know, it's a competition. Who's most vile? They're all tied. It's her, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Madison Cawthorn, Paul Gozar. The party is about bigotry and the embrace of violence. Let's remind everyone Congressman Bobart on January 6th that morning tweeted, today is 1776. No, mm-hmm. it wasn't, but on, that was right-wing code for today's the day we have a violent revolution to prevent Donald Trump from being removed and keep Donald Trump in power. She hung around with the three percenters who are white nationalists, photographed with them, loved them. Some of them were arrested for being involved in January 6th. So, you know, joy, the idea of bigotry, no surprise. Violence, yeah. no yeah. surprise. What the January 6th committee should be doing is subpoenaing Lauren Bobar to explain what is 1776? Why did she tweet that hours before the attack? Why is she now defending the terrorists who were in jail for January 6th? And why did she hang out with people in the three percenters, the white nationalist militia? And some of those people are under arrest. So she is vile. She's despicable. She's the GOP. That's who they are. And the, the thing about it is, I mean, this goes back to, you know, after 9-11, you know, one of the reasons Donald Trump caught on with a lot of Republicans is that he put money into this effort to try to stop uh, Muslims in New York from building a cultural center to try to bring people together. He smeared uh, people that he didn't even know claiming Muslims cheered for 9-11. I mean, like this is like a he, he did a Muslim ban. He did an actual Muslim ban. The Supreme Court upheld. It, and, and what I worry about is that because Ilhan Omar is so visible, 
You know, Rashida Tlaib and she are, both are women who are vulnerable for that for that reason. But she also wears the hijab, so she is very visible. And I worry that the thing that Boebert said, basically calling her a suicide bomber, it puts this- her at risk. Isn't there? I mean, it's crazy that there's no sanction for putting a fellow member at risk, at physical risk. Republicans only remind everyone just two weeks ago, only two out of 200 plus voted to condemn Paul Gozar for his fantasy snuff video where he's literally killing AOC in it. So, look, this is who the GOP is. The idea of going against Congressman Omar has been something trumped. She's black. She's an immigrant. She's Muslim. And a woman. All the things that GOP men hate and some of the women like Bobart want to put down. And let's remind people that story she told was fabricated. She yeah. made up that story because she knew her base would love her telling jokes at the expense of a black female and Muslim immigrant. That's who they are. They're, she's not an I want everyone to say she's not an outlier. She's mainstream yeah. GOP. And Kevin McCarthy will do nothing. The guy's spineless. I think they carry him in a bucket. They put a microphone over the bucket so he can speak because he's a spineless creature. <laughs> Desperate to be House Speaker. So he'll sell his soul to hopefully be Speaker of the House. I hope the American people, I hope Democrats make this in 2022 partly a referendum on do you want white nationalism, bigotry, cruelty and violence controlling the House of Representatives? I hope Americans say no to that. Well, I mean, when Michael Steele was head of the RNC, the whole campaign was about Nancy Pelosi. And it was, you know, they, they directly attacked her and said, you don't want her to be speaker. And they made that the campaign. Democrats should do the same. You know, I, I wonder the other issue here. And, you know, and we talked about we were texting earlier. You reminded me, I mean, Ilhan Omar came here as a refugee, as a kid, rose all yes. the way to the United States Congress. She is the American dream. The one who's got a criminal record is Lauren Boebert for a series of like petty crimes. The one with a mugshot is Lauren Boebert. I think we might have it. She's the one with the mugshot. How ironic that the one with the mugshot is trying to imply that the one without a mugshot is the criminal. I hope Democrats will put a big, big blow to those pictures on the House floor when they debate this. That's 2017. She failed to appear for court numerous times. She then, in 2015, when she was arrested then for interfering with the police, arresting underage drinkers, she told the kids, run away. She interrupted so much, she got arrested for interfering with the arrest. She should have been charged with resisting, but somehow the charges all went away, which is white privilege, because if she's a black or brown woman, those charges wouldn't be away. She might be in prison. She might not even be alive today. But Lauren Bobart is benefiting from white privilege. She's got her. I hope people look at her mugshot. It's on Twitter. You just showed it there. This is who we're dealing with. Someone's got various arrests, demonizing people who are pursuing the American dream. It's exceeding it and making their base happy with vile, vile jokes. And, yeah, and they're not jokes because they could really put her at risk. Um, Dino Vidal, my friend, thank you very much. Always appreciate you being here. And before we go, just a quick note to say that when I referred to Jeffrey Epstein's alleged clients earlier, I was referring to the numerous high-profile names that have been reported to have connections to Epstein. And it's quite evident that Donald Trump was a friend to both Epstein and Maxwell. Just want to make sure we make that distinction. That is tonight's readout. Happy Hanukkah. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.